Well, happy Advent. My name is Ryan White. I am the pastor here at Elam. Welcome. Happy Advent. On the first day of Advent, my true love gave to me my first Christmas sweater. It's not really Christmassy. It has a Lord of the Rings quote on it, but hey, it's the Christmas sweater I wanted. Well, welcome, guys. It's so fun. This is, as you guys know, this is my favorite time of the year. So I am thrilled to be kicking off the season with you guys. I'm thrilled to have my parents visiting with us this morning from California. We have begun that season of preparation where we prepare our hearts and our homes and our lives. We make them ready for the arrival of Christ. It's a time when we look back with gratitude, when we celebrate Jesus' first coming, his incarnation into human flesh, when he stepped into our world to dwell among us. It's also a time when we look ahead to his second coming, personal, bodily, glorious, to gather his people to himself and to finally and to ultimately put the world to rights, making all things new and just and beautiful once again. And this year, as we journey to Bethlehem, I want us to hear with fresh ears, as I even already started to preview, our songs of Christmas. I want to invite you to slow down and to listen, to to meditate on the carols we sing as we make that kind of holy pilgrimage together this year to the manger. Because worship, it shapes us individually. Singing also forms us, not that worship is just singing, but the act of worship in song, it it forms us collectively as a people. It impacts our identity. It trains our character. The way one worships will affect the way one navigates the highways and the byways of life. It will transform the way in which you keep in step with Jesus and share His good news with a hurting world. And to paraphrase Colossians 3.16 again, the song, song lets the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. It's a way that we can teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. It's a way that we can train our hearts to be thankful and gracious toward God. So our text this morning is actually going to be the traditional English carol we sang, which is a particular favorite of mine, God rest ye merry gentlemen. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. So, nearly 500 years ago, God rest ye merry gentlemen was written, and it's one of the first Christmas songs ever written in English. It was a a little act of rebellion, a reaction against the dour music of the 15th century church. So in those days, most worship songs were written in Latin and had dark, somber melodies. They provided the singers and the hearers, many of whom could not understand Latin, with little uplift or inspiration. But in a hierarchical church, there was little the average man or woman in the pews could do to impact the worship that took place in the building. But they could change how the family of God worshipped together outside the building. 
And God rest you, men and gentlemen, is what is called a luck visit song, according to the people who know music stuff. It's designed to be sung in front of someone's house, on their threshold to the people living inside. And so everyday believers, everyday missionaries in those days, they yearned for new holiday anthems that were light and lively, that were written in their ordinary mother tongue, and that overflowed with both gospel truth and grace's inexpressible joy. And it's this impulse that gave birth to today's collection of traditional carols. They are an earlier generation's Christmas gift to us to build us up and to encourage us on the journey. So I don't want you to get too comfortable, though. These explorations this Advent season are going to be fairly interactive. You have in your hands, and if you don't have one on the center table, there are more, um, a half sheet that on one side you'll find the lyrics of our all five verses of our carol, and on the back side you'll find a series of reflection questions. Along the way, I'm going to prompt you to pause and to consider each in turn. But we just sang this song. What lines or what line or lines in this song do you find the most striking? With what does your soul resonate? So I want to give you guys a minute. Read back through the lyrics. Hum or sing along under your breath if you need to. What is standing out to you and why? So jot it down on the back, that little question. Underline it and try to write a few words that articulate why that turn of phrase or why that melody is stirring something within you. And if you need a pen, uh, there will be pens in the seat back either in front of you or behind you. But take a minute, scan this carol. What is resonating with your soul? What line is striking to you? And then we're going to have two people share. So go, take a minute. Okay. So two people. What line is standing out to you? What's striking you or is resonating with your soul? One, raise your hand. I'm going to run out. Larry. The holy tide of Christmas, all others doth or all other doth deface. And I thought, wow, that's what happens in our world, our society. The commercialization of Christmas is all about gifts and how much you spend and all that kind of stuff. It's defacement, but uh, defacement of a holy tide. Interesting. Yeah. One more person. What line is jumping out? Is striking or interesting? Uh, I'm going to say to save us all from Satan's power. Yeah. Uh, Because if we're not, if I, or I'm not, I don't know about you guys, if I am not being constantly reminded of the, of Jesus and, um, Staying in that mindset, then Satan pops up within a second. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, guys. Don't worry. You have three more weeks to warm up to speaking on the microphone. This is going to be our new rhythm for Advent. So, yes. Thank you guys for sharing. So I love this song, and it warms my heart, but I have to ask you, Do we understand even what that first line means? God rest ye, merry gentlemen. 
It's an olden style of English, and it lands strangely on our ears. It sounds different to us than it would sound to its original hearers. So may we attempt this morning a more modern translation. So we'll begin with the low-hanging fruit, ye. Ye is an archaic way of saying you or you all, that second-person plural pronoun. So, God rest you, Mary gentlemen. Better. Still sounds odd to our ears. Let's tackle that next word, rest. God rest you. Now rest doesn't mean to lounge on the couch. Though it's now an obsolete usage, in those days rest meant to keep, to hold, to make something remain or continue. We hear that sense of the word in our modern word, arrest. We are going to grab you and keep you and hold you and make you remain here, right? So, God, keep you, Mary, gentlemen. Okay? Still somewhat unclear. The phrase needs a comma. In the title, there's some necessary punctuation missing. Now, don't cheat and look at the lyrics. But where would you put the pause? Is it God keep you, merry gentlemen? Like God is keeping us as his possession? Or is it God keep you, merry gentlemen? The God, the keeping, or the merry is something that God is accomplishing. I guess, does does Mary describe us, gentle folk, like it's something we are bringing to the table? Or does it describe what God is doing? The sort of rest He is bringing us into and holding us in. Well, Spoiler, it's the latter. There should be a comma between Mary and gentlemen. But now it makes me wonder, is this just kind of some shallow little ditty? May God keep you happy this holiday, you comfortable consumer. (laughs) May God fill your day with comforts and entertainment and delights. God, make our winters like a real-life Hallmark movie, all aglow with color and warmth and romance and lights. That's the reason for the season, right? To to bring out the chocolate, the lavish decorations, to turn heaven's attention to my happiness and comfort. Come on, God, chop, chop. It's almost Christmas after all. What are you getting me? The only problem with that is for the English peasants who first sang this song, Mary was not a synonym of happy. It was a synonym of mighty. It's a very different meaning entirely. Robin Hood's merry men were not particularly jolly or jovial or well-sauced, no matter what we learned watching Mel Brooks' old film, Robin Hood Men in Tights. No, Robin Hood's merry men were the equivalent of King David's mighty men in the Old Testament. They were great warriors, brave and strong. You see, in the Middle Ages and beyond, a strong army was called a merry army. A great singer was called a merry singer. 
And a mighty ruler was deemed a merry ruler. So knowing what we know now, what are the petitions of this carol? I want you to take a moment to either circle them or jot them down. What are the petitions of this carol? Take a minute. Okay. You can keep writing your thoughts. Apparently, this carol was a favorite of night watchmen. They would sing it as they walked through the darkened streets of London. They would quietly serenade the low-born families as they slept in their homes. And as they would sing, they would be making their petitions. God rest ye merry. It sounds like a request directed towards God, but it might be less a petition and more a statement of fact. God makes you mighty, gentle folk. It's not your own strength, but it is His on your behalf. It's an echo of what the Apostle John wrote in his letter. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. He's not saying you guys are strong already. You are strong because of Jesus. And the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Notice also to whom the song is directed. It's directed to gentlemen. We hear gentlemen, and we think gentlemen and ladies. We think fancy folk. I wonder instead if gentle should bring to our mind words like meek and mild humble and powerless, those who are lowly and vulnerable, God keeps you strong. He makes you great. It makes me recall the words of the Archangel Gabriel to a young and vulnerable teenage girl named Mary. He says in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, the Lord saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And when Mary asked, how could this be for a person like her? The angel said, jumping into verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Lowly child, God will make you strong. Rest easy. Rest in power. Rest in His Victory and grace. To that, Mary declares, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then she breaks out in song. Just a few verses later, she sings this. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked upon the humble estate of His servant, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he 
who is mighty. He who has Mary has done Mary things for Mary. And holy is his name. He has shown, jumping down into 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. God, rest ye, merry, gentle men and women. Let nothing you dismay. Let nothing cause you anxiety or distress. Fear not. Let nothing you affright. Let no person, no circumstance, no weakness spark within you any sudden feelings of insecurity or dread. How come? Because God rests you strong. All the terrors and the threats, both real and imagined, are drowned out in the tidings, the heavenly tidings of comfort and joy. Because this day is born a Savior of virtue, power, and might. He's here to rescue us from Satan's power and redeem us from our wandering. He's here to release us from sin's bondage and forgive us, to to break evil's power and end death's reign, to vanquish all that would threaten to destroy us within and without. Jesus has come to lift up the lowly, to heal the broken, to lavish us with grace as He restores justice and makes the world whole. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What is this good news? That Jesus, through His life, through His death, through His resurrection, has delivered us, as it says in Colossians, from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians of Colossae. And he goes on in verse 19. He says this, For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless, and above reproach before Him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the Gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Those who were lost in the dark, Jesus has brought back into the light. Those who were alienated and estranged, He's reconciled back to God and planted them in a family. Those who were powerless 
and downtrodden and under threat. He has given healing and strength and victory. Those who have hurt and wounded others, He's forgiven, washed clean, and made new, establishing us in our repentance, empowering us to live changed lives in Christ. These are our tidings of comfort and joy. Continue to trust them, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of this good news. Our task is to believe the truth of this Gospel and to cling to Jesus. To put our faith in His strength that He rests us Mary. With Mary, we do say, Behold, we are Your servants. We've been caught up in Your grace. Let it be to us according to Your Word. We trust in You. We cling to You. We receive this love we don't deserve and this strength and and greatness that is not our own. And it makes us sing. Which leads us to our our final question. I want to give you another minute to jot down your thoughts. How does singing this song change the worshiper? Take a minute. Think through that. Reflect. How does singing this song change the worshiper? So what do you think? One person. And I realize we're going to be biased in favor of extroverts. But one person. What is one way that you think singing this song changes the worshiper? Okay. Um, I'm terrified to give my dad the microphone. Repetition makes perfection. Yeah. Okay, you were short, so Keith gets one too. Okay, so it, it brings joy brings identity, brings glory to God, commands us not to worry, fear, and to be at peace, and to love one another. Yeah, amen. Yeah. This changes us. I don't know how to articulate this, but like if we marinate our psyches uh, here in the Gospel's tidings of comfort and joy, when we learn to rest in the proclamation of Christ's strength and His settled victory, it alters us. And it ought to make us unlike the men and women we were before and unlike those who have not heard and been touched by this grace. You see, we know the pattern that's typical in our world when, when power dynamics shift and social hierarchies are overturned When the proud and the oppressive are thrown down and the humble and the lowly are elevated and made strong, they respond to power poorly. My family originally hails from the Central American country of Nicaragua. My grandmother grew up under a brutal dictatorship under a family of tyrants, the Somosas, who would throw their political enemies out of helicopters into active volcanoes. They were nice guys. Eventually, the peasants revolted and the communist Sandinistas took over the country, but almost instantly became worse than that which they had displaced. Greatness and might twisted and corrupted them, making them agents of terror and destruction to everyday Nicaraguans. 
And still people got chucked into the volcanoes. It's a weird move, but... So you might think our response would be something like this. God has made you strong, now go conquer in my name. Overthrow the proud, establish yourself in the place of power and influence, for you are great. Rule, change the world, for you are mighty. Is that what we hear in this song? No, the hymn directs us differently. God has made you strong. He's elevated you from your lowly estate. Your proper response is to now to the Lord sing praises, all you within this place. And with true love and brotherhood, each other now embrace. These good, holy tidings of Christmas outshine any other. We are shifted into a life of praise because Jesus has come and His victory is settled and we are released from fear, anxiety, and angst. God rests us strong. We should be the most non-anxious presences in whatever community or space we are in. We don't have to rise up and in our newfound power desperately reshape this broken and lost world by any means necessary. No, we know that we can with joy and hope partner with God because He has made us strong and He is doing away with evil, sin, and death. He is dethroning them and bringing His just, right, good, and beautiful world. And it frees us to live lives of worship to live lives for others where we can extend true love and brotherhood confident that Jesus is at work undoing all of the power of evil, sin, and death. He's making all things new, even us. I don't think this means we are passive, but it does mean we are peaceful. We don't say the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Ah! Let's fight or let's hide. We say, you know what? God rests us strong. We walk and we sing and we celebrate tidings of comfort and joy so we can go out into the world as the fragrance of Christ, with the hope of Christ, with the joy of Christ, with the peace of Christ, with the love of Christ. Because what He has done. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Maybe that's a sum up of what this song is all about. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Amen? Well, we're going to end our worship here at the communion table. So I'm going to invite Greg up to provide some music, but as we come to partake in this symbolic meal, it is a reminder to us that this is how God rests us merry. What does Psalm 23 say? He has prepared a table before me. He has prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Who are our enemies? Evil, sin, death. And he's like, you know what? I'm dealing with it. 
All you got to do is come and feast at my table. Celebrate what I have done to make you strong. So as you come, and Greg, you can set the mood for us. Let me just read this verse from Romans as a prayer. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He has rested us, Mary, He has rested us strong. And for that, we worship, we receive, we draw near to our Savior. Amen? Amen. Dear God, as your church comes forward to partake in this meal that you have given us, prepare our hearts. May we make you room. Celebrate the good news, not just of this season, but of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.